Psalm 126, a psalm of ascents. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word, and we pray, uh, Lord, that uh, you would bless us as a... Lord, I expound it. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, protect the words that they're only true. Amen. So, we are working through the Songs of Ascent, and this is um, the seventh one in the series. And as the psalmist starts out here, he says, he's speaking of a particular time in history, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion. And he's speaking of a specific time when his people were brought back from captivity, and they were restored to Jerusalem. Many commentators associate this specific uh, account to the return from exile under uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. So a specific time. And again, as, as we're looking at this, think of these are uh, pilgrims going up to Jerusalem and they're having this thought in their mind. They're having this thought that uh, after many years, after 70 years of exile, they are now returning to Jerusalem and they're recalling that what God had done for them in such an amazing time as that bringing them back. And he continues and he says, we were like those who dream. You know, the psalmist describes here not just a sense of grateful and awe-filled astonishment, again, at the power and the goodness of God bringing them back into the land from their captivity, but it was as if it was a dream. You know, the Jews have been exiled for 70 years. Some of the people had settled down. Some of them had built houses. They had established themselves in this new land. A lot of them were born there and knew nothing else. But all of a sudden, there's a new king. King Cyrus comes on, and he makes a proclamation allowing the Jews to go home. It seemed too good to be true, too great to be true, too fantastical, as it were. But it's actually, to them, it was a dream come true, that they can return to their home. You know, if you remember the account of Peter when he's in prison, and the angel shows up and, and uh, kicks him in the side and says, get up, let's go. You know, Peter says, he went and he followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And then later in Acts 12, he says, then Peter came to himself and said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent an angel and has delivered me. I am sure that all of us can recall a time of sudden deliverance in our life. Whether it be from health or financial difficulties or job stress or, or something that the Lord has delivered you from. Deliverance into salvation, if nothing else. We all have that. And I expect that it would lead to, or it led you to this next result in the psalm going on at verse 2. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. You know, they celebrated this great sudden deliverance with laughter and with singing. There was much, there was so much laughter that it says that their mouths were full of it. Uh, Charles Spurgeon 
has this to say. He says, The mercy was so unexpected, so amazing, so singular, that they could not do less than laugh. And they laughed much, so that their mouths were full of it. And that because their hearts were full too. Now look at the result of that. What happens when they were laughing and they were singing. It says, Then they said among the nations... This is the nation speaking. The Lord has done great things for them. And the sense here of this joyful amazement was not just confined to God's people. No, the onlooking nations saw it. And they're proclaiming what Yahweh did. They're proclaiming that it is a great work of God. You know, as they looked on these heathen nations that had no share in this surprising mercy at all, they could do nothing less than claim that this was a gift from the great giver of all good on behalf of his people. We just sang Psalm 57, where it says, all the listening nations round. That's a case here that's happening. The nations were proclaiming God's name. And then it continues on. The psalmist then makes it personal. He says, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. It's almost here, again, hears what the nations are saying around him, and he agrees with it. He emphasizes it, and he repeats it for emphasis so we can see that. It becomes a declaration of what God has done for us. And we are glad, is how he finishes that statement. There's a joyful peace here. This is, I don't believe that this is a worked up or a hyped up enthusiasm at all. No, this is a confident joy in what God has done for them. You know, verse 3 expresses joy in the present based on the remembrance of the past and a hope for the future. When God does a work of deliverance in your life, it brings glory to Him and joy to you. Does it not? Brothers and sisters, we should be the most joyful of all people. God has done great things for us. Isaiah 25, 9 should be our testimony. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and we and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Now we go into the second part of the psalm here, and we, we join the psalmist here in a prayer. He says, bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. So when he says, you know, bring back our captivity, O Lord, it's not that he is negating what has happened in the amazing joy that we've just looked at in the first half of the psalm. He's not negating that. He's recognizing that there's still a lot of work to do. The restoration is not complete. The returning exiles realized There is work yet to be done, or yet to happen. God has brought us back, but there's much to do yet. James Montgomery Boyce summarizes it this way. He says, For the psalmist, as for us, memory of the past could have become mere nostalgia. Those were the days, we say, wonderful, but gone forever. In Psalm 126, the memory of those singing, laughter-filled days of the past becomes not nostalgia, but the ground of a strong hope for even better days to come. 
even better days to come. Now, that last phrase there, as the streams in the south, that's kind of an odd phrasing. What does that mean, right? Some of your translations may say, as the streams in the Negev. So the Negev comes from a root word that means dry and parched. This was a very dry and barren land in the south. But the streams in the south flowed full when the rains fell in the faraway mountains. In particular times, it was dry almost always, but when it rained in the mountains, it came down, and even so much so that it could be a flash flood. It was a mighty flow, and it happened suddenly. There was not a warning for it. And the psalmist prays here for a mighty, sudden work of God to further the work of restoration among his people. Do you ever feel like your life is the Negev? Dry and parched spiritually? But if you do, this is the prayer. We need to pray for restoration. Again, no matter how dry, no matter how parched, the Lord of heaven and earth can send the resurrecting, overflowing streams to you. We need to remember that. Verse 5 continues. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. So again, the gladness of the first half of this psalm was real, but it's only a part of the picture. He reminds us that great joy is oftentimes preceded by seasons of tears. As if those seeds that are sown are those tears. And that they bring a joy which is later to be reaped. This illustration puts a connection between tears and joy. And too often, I'll speak for me, I want the joy without the tears. I want the, the harvest without the toil. I want the benefits without having to work for them. And here the psalmist tells us that they are connected. Derek Kidner compares the two images, again, of the sudden merciful work of God, the flowing streams, and the sowing in tears, he compares these two. He says, the two images of renewal are not only striking, they are complementary. The first of them is all suddenness, a sheer gift from heaven. The second is slow and arduous, with man allotted a crucial part to play in it. It continues and repeats the phrasing a little differently. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing. Again, this this idea is repeated here and, and, and enlarged. Those who have endured much weeping, if they truly are carrying the seed for sowing, holding and casting it with a faith in God and His promises, those may be assured that the reaping will be a good harvest. God's people are not to sit down idly waiting for God to come through. They are to go out and sow, praying that the Lord would be true to his promises, to have faith in them and ask him to fulfill them. And then the psalm ends with, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing sheaves with him. Tears truly sown in faith will bring in time, a true harvest of rejoicing is what this tells us. 
as if the reapers held heavy sheaves of grain, this is a powerful and great promise that our tears and our sorrows need not be wasted, but can be sown for a joyful harvest received in a better season. Charles Spurgeon said of that word, doubtless. God didn't give us that word, doubtless, for no reason. That's so that we believe it. We shall not doubt that this will happen. We believe him because he says it is so. And then just in closing, an 18th century uh, commentator, George Horn, uh, summarized it in this way. For thus thy blessed master went forth weeping, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, bearing precious seed and sowing it around him, till at length his own body was buried like a grain of wheat in the furrow of the grave. But he arose and is now in heaven, from whence he shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, bringing his sheaths with him. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, for this meal that we're about to partake of. And we thank you, Lord, for our Savior, Christ Jesus. Lord, who accomplished all. Amen.